I live my life in widening circles that reach out across the world. Those words from the poet Rainer Maria Rilke help me understand our text for today, particularly God's admonition that we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me explain. Paul's letter to the church at Rome expresses the good news that we are saved by grace through faith. There is nothing we can do to earn or deserve God's love. God already loves us just as we are. But as a good friend of mine used to say, God loves us too much to let us stay that way. As Paul points out, grace is no excuse for sin. In fact, it frees us from it, inviting us into a new life, offering us a new way of being in the world. In response to God's love, we are to turn our entire lives toward God so that day by day we are transformed. That is, changed through a process that involves our heart, our mind, our will, and our actions. In that process, we become new persons who want what God wants. And that's what's important, that we become people who want what God wants. That process can be likened to living our lives in widening circles. It's a, a shifting of consciousness and concern from self to others, to the world, to God. It's expansive, like God's love, and it's a long journey, a long sanctifying journey toward becoming more and more the person and the people that God created us to be those who want what God wants. But for that shift to happen, we must, as Paul says, die to sin and experience a death like Christ in order that we might also experience a resurrection like His. Crucifixion and resurrection are a dynamic of life itself, one that Jesus models for us, revealing that both are important. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. In other words, it takes death to expand life. The pattern we see with Jesus is the pattern we must follow ourselves, dying to sin and rising to new life. When I talk of sin, I'm not referring simply to certain behaviors. I mean much more than that. Classically speaking, sin is to miss the mark or to fall short of the goal. That can happen on purpose or quite unintentionally. Anyone who's tried to throw a dart at a bullseye knows what I mean. Even our best intentions can ensure that we're able to do it. Still, the invitation is for us to learn from our attempts at getting it right and from the ways in which we get it wrong. David P. Goldstein has written a number of chants inspired by 12-step spirituality one of them on his album entitled, Experience This Day Just As It Is, Chanting for Recovery, goes like this. Help me to learn from my mistakes. Teach me to live my life better, better. Help me to learn from my mistakes. Teach me to live my life better each day. 
find that helpful in understanding what it means to die to sin. It's about learning from our mistakes and allowing what we learn with God's help to change us and make us better. I don't know about you, but at this point in my life, I learn far more from my failures than from my successes. The key becomes not making the same mistakes over and over again, but learning, learning from them and moving on, risking again the next little death or failure or humiliation. It's been said that St. Francis of Assisi used to pray for a daily humiliation. He knew it was the surest way to continue to grow in compassion as a child of God. It may sound strange, but humility can bring out the best in us if we let it. Arrogance and judgment, on the other hand, continue to pit us against one another and lead us to violence and oppression against ourselves and others. But the way of humility and forgiveness are the ways of God. They are the foundations of grace and unconditional love, and they lead to life, the life that we were meant to lead in Christ. Trappist monk and spiritual teacher Thomas Merton wrote that the spiritual journey is one of discovering our diamond essence, as he called it, that aspect of ourselves that it is that is of God in Christ. It's our innate value as creatures created in God's image. For us to discover that, our small selves have to get out of the way so that God can shine through and so our true selves in Christ can be seen. This applies to everybody, not just a few of us. We've all, regardless of race, sex, or creed, been created in God's image with diamond essence at our core. John Philip Newell, in writing about Merton, points out that one aspect of the importance of our claiming our diamond essence is what it means in terms of our ability to work for the transformation of the world. It involves dying to the way in which the ego wants to be the center, whether that be our individual ego or our collective ego, the ego of our nation, religious tradition, or species. As Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Our seed force of strength for change in the world will multiply by accessing the innermost ground of our being. That's where true strength is to be found, not in the limited strength of our ego. This, says Merton, involves facing our nothingness in order to access our everythingness. This involves facing our nothingness in order to access our everythingness. It means facing the worst in us in order to discover the best. It means we need to die on a certain level of our being in order to find ourselves alive and free at another. Newell goes on to say, this does not involve a hatred of self, and it certainly does not require us to demean the self in others or in other races, classes, or genders. Quite the opposite. It means respecting the self and nurturing it in others. This includes 
those among us who have not been fully respected or have been given the impression that they have nothing to offer. We are, not collect, we are now, rather, collectively, worldwide, in the midst of an unprecedented time of crucifixion. The coronavirus pandemic has forced people everywhere to die to familiar ways of doing things. We've had to shut down life as usual, not knowing if things will ever return to normal again. It's unlikely, and it may be for the best. What is normal anyway? The recent response to the death of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and others has sparked further crucifixion. One of the ways in which this is taking place is through the dismantling of Confederate symbols here in Richmond and throughout the country, and the direct challenge of racist policies and practices prevalent in our culture. Racism, both personal and systemic, is being exposed again for what it is, our nation's original sin. As I heard a colleague say the other day, a pastor here in the East End of Richmond, racism, the oppression of black people, are as, apple, as American as apple pie. They are, back, they are baked into every aspect of this nation. Let me say that again. Racism and the oppression of black people are as American as apple pie. They are baked into every aspect of this nation. Seemingly for the first time in this nation's history, a broad segment of society, not just black people, but people of every color, especially white people, are not only taking notice, but responding to the sin by standing up and saying enough is enough. White supremacy is being called out. White people today, those who look like me, are being forced to grapple with the ways that we participate in racist systems and to evaluate again the pernicious attitudes and behaviors inherent in this country that have perpetuated the, the devaluing of certain people for centuries now. The young, protest, young protesters that we see marching and chanting for change today are asking us to die to our hurtful ways, to repent of our sin of racism. The world's crying out for the same thing in protests around the globe. Dying to sin is hard when our egos are in control, but not so much when the diamond essence of who we are is honored and accepted. It's that part of us that isn't afraid to die or to change when the change means life for everyone, a valuing of all. At Richmond Hill, we've been doing our own racial work as a community. Yes, we've got work to do too, sins that we must die to in order to experience the resurrection of Christ together in our pursuit of the healing of Metropolitan Richmond. Recently, we've been looking at a graphic that depicts widening circles in relationship to how racism is viewed and overcome. The smallest circle is characterized as the fear zone. Remember, perfect love casts out fear. That circle includes things like, I deny racism is a problem, and I avoid hard questions, 
and I talk to others who look and think like me. As the circle widens, we move through the learning zone where I begin to understand my own privilege in ignoring racism. And I am vulnerable about my own biases and knowledge gaps. It's where I am also willing to admit that racism is a present and current problem. Eventually, we move out to the growth zone where there are a number of statements describing what it means to repent of racism. Statements that characterize the growth zone include, I identify how I may unknowingly benefit from racism, or I promote and advocate for policies and leaders that are anti-racist, and I speak out when I see racism in action. The statement that caught my attention in connection with our text today is this, I don't let mistakes deter me from being better. Think about that. To wallow in our sin is to remain entombed, to be dead ourselves, blind to our offenses and the ways in which our behavior hurts ourselves and others. But to learn from our mistakes is to rise from the ashes and not only be better ourselves, but contribute toward the creation of a better world. That's the opportunity before us now to die to our mistakes in order that we might rise as new persons who want what God wants. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want to live my life in widening circles, trusting in God and the hope of a resurrection. May it be so. Amen.